Securities offered through Securities America, Inc. Member FINRA and SIPC. Advisory services offered through Securities America Advisors, Inc. Investors Advantage and the Securities America companies are separate entities. The opinions and forecasts expressed are those of the author, may not actually come to pass, and should not be construed as a recommendation of any security or investment plan. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness with your hosts, John Grace and Daniel Medina. They have all the questions about investing, planning, retirement, and the future. You could say it's all they live for. While it can seem daunting getting everything sorted out and the important questions answered, they'll do their best to make it that much easier. Now, here's John Grace and Daniel Medina. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, John Grace and Daniel Medina here with Fiscal Fitness. So delighted that you could spend some time with us this afternoon. We always look at what's going on in the overall economy and then closer to under the hood in terms of what, how this, what's going on in the economy impacts you. And we're going to be discussing with uh, Dr. Herman Williams. And by the way, he happens to be a client of the firm along with his, his, his parents and his son. So that's three generations. We kind of like it like that. Um, and I will always smile with uh, Dr. Herman Williams because uh, I remember working with his parents, particularly his father, who said, look, my son's going to this school in Oregon. I have to buy a property there, and then I'm selling it on the day he graduates. And he did. And then he said, now my son's in Boston. I have to buy a property there. I'll collect the rents. We'll make the money, and then we'll sell it on the day he graduates. And so we did. And mom always complained about the taxes, and I would have a good laugh with her to say, that means you made money because daddy uh, put the money down, and, and, and you collected the money, and you have to pay on these profits. God bless you. <laughs> she did not like that. But it was all profit. And it was certainly fun for me to be included in that experience as though I was part of the family, helping them really develop a, a, a totally different business plan. But it was uh, completely successful. And daddy sure knew what he was doing. So uh, son has done very well for himself. A medical doctor uh, holds an MBA and then master's in public health. Uh, now in Nashville, Tennessee. So we'll, we'll get back to him in just a moment. But what we like to do, of course, is kind of bring you up to date, because so often when we look at the news, all we see when they talk about the market, it was up, it was down, but you don't really get any sense for what that means or what kind of trajectory is happening. Certainly you can't see the trends. So we'll talk about the market and we'll look at it from the beginning of the year on January 1, 2020 through today. Okay, and this is what we're seeing. What we're seeing is that uh, we're up, um, geez, about five and over five and a half percent so far year to date from January 1. And that's good as far as the Dow is concerned. Probably the best indicator would be the Standard Poor's 500 because it's a larger grouping 500 stocks uh, as opposed to the Dow being 30. And we see very good returns up over so far 14% for the year. That's a very good return. But now we look at the NASDAQ and there's two things here. The first is outstanding news. NASDAQ's up 40%. Uh, but if we go back to the Dow and we see up about five, there's quite a disparity there between the Dow and the NASDAQ. I mean, that's about as, uh, uh, as long and wide as you can imagine, which suggests some things that we look at from the standpoint of how many companies are actually participating in all of this growth that you seem to hear about almost every day as far as the reporting on the stock market. It suggests that we might be getting to a market top. That's what we're looking for. And that's what we'll continue to report with you on. Because there are some of the folks that we follow that suggest that what we saw fourth quarter 2018 was a loss of about 20% when it came, comes to the S&P 500, followed by first quarter 2020, a loss of uh, 35%. Notice that the second loss was greater than the first loss. And so these folks are suggesting the next low could be lower than the first two by more than 40% as the first leg down. So if you're looking at the market, you might pay attention to the S&P. I would say look at, uh, you know, the peak might be in the neighborhood of 36, 3700. We seem to be about right there. NASDAQ, the peak might be 12,500, maybe to 13,000. But suddenly we're, we're concerned that we might find out how low we can go. I mean, remember the cartoons when uh, Cody uh, Wyoli, uh, he, he, you know, the roadrunner would run off the face of the earth and then they'd stand there for it seemed like an indeterminate amount of time. And then it was like, how low can we go? That's what we're, we're, we're looking at. And so we will also address how we might limit those losses. So that's why one of the reasons that we, we, we do this kind of work because we want to make sure 
everyone can survive and thrive, whether it's our health or our wealth. And sometimes these things happen and they just take all your drive away. You can't have a nice day. You can't have a nice life. And it's just really tough to, but it's also important for us to recognize the sense of complacency. In other words, when it looks like all bubbles are getting larger and larger, we have to know that bubbles always burst 100% of the time. So we don't want to just be optimistic and say, well, geez, I've made so much money, it's never going to stop because sometimes the carousel stops and we all have to get off the carousel when the music stops. And that's when it becomes very ugly. And we're afraid that that often makes it very difficult to have a nice day, let alone have a nice life. So we'll, we want to get uh, to the uh, material we have for you with, with regards to the coronavirus, particularly because it seems to be hitting right now, we'll go into it a little bit in a minute, the minorities, particularly women and minorities, okay, of all complexions. So we want to recognize what's going on here and see what we can do about it. In the meantime, though, Daniel came across uh, something that was fascinating, uh, that really caught our attention. This is something we've been watching for a while, and this one came out of... Uh, Vanguard just on December 8th, so this is about as fresh as it could be, which uh, the, the title is Beware of Home Country Bias. So Daniel, tell us, what does that mean? So it's an interesting, that's an interesting question. And let me ask you a question, John. Over the last 50 years, what do you think, how many, how, what's the odds that the international stock market, particularly um, the, the IFA, is going to outperform the U.S. stock market? Why are you asking me that question? We should ask our audience that question. I mean, because we know the answer, right? I, I think most of us would say the answer is not as often, maybe 20% of the time. Yes, it's actually 51% of the time. 51% of the time. So this is what we want to draw your attention to, folks, because there, it's, that's, that's pretty even, 50-50. But when we look at our portfolios, what do we tend to see, Daniel, in terms of the ratio with internationals? What we t- it's, a, it's a fascinating to look at these portfolios is fascinating because what people tend to do is they tend to have a large bias to the country that they're in. So when we're looking at people around us, we always see a large bias to U.S. companies. And there's nothing wrong with that. U.S. is a strong, uh, it's a strong market. And particularly, it's been this, one of the strongest markets for, for a while. But that doesn't mean we should ignore the rest of the, rest of the world. It's, it's a large world. And there's a lot of money to be made out there. So well, and it's a, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, we shouldn't, we shouldn't be ignoring the international markets and the emerging markets. Even in the space of America first? Or is that what you're saying? That I mean, and see, I think that's what happens. That we get all of this information that we should be first and only. But we don't recognize the reality that we're breathing the same air. We're drinking the same water. And just a minute ago, we were flying the same airplane. So we're literally all in this together. So we're not only talking about what we see with our clients and particularly when they are new clients and looking at their portfolios in terms of how they're constructed, we find that it's pretty common, no matter the country, that on average, people have exposure to 10% outside of their country of domicile. Whereas what Daniel's suggesting or Vanguard is showing us here is the ratio of reward, whether you're in the USA or outside of the USA, is pretty 50-50. Now, they happen to have uh, over 5 million retail accounts at, at Vanguard, and they open the books to show us on average how they invest. And it may be the single overview of the typical uh, Main Street U.S. investors uh, that are about uh, 81% in U.S. stocks, 81%. So they don't have 10%, they have uh, 9% maybe, or 19% maybe of, of 81%. But uh, in this author's perspective, he thinks it might be advantageous to be more 50-50. It's, it's 50% here, 50% there. What that means is we, we, we do, in that regard, uh, enjoy better diversification in terms of country. And let's recognize with uh, what looks like will be a new administration on the 20th of January, we might be welcomed back into the fold of the world economies, and there might be trade that happens again. Certainly, COVID is trade that's happening all over the world. Uh, and there will be other things that we've kind of excluded ourselves from participating in. And I think we should be, we should be at the table and be a full participant. So this actually leads to a different question because a lot of times when people do it themselves, right. they, they invest in what they know, which is U.S. And the, the bias is large U.S. companies. So I think when people, now I don't have any numbers to support this, but I'm willing to bet that if you're looking at, at do-it-yourselfers versus investors that work with, invi- with advisors, you're going to find more balanced portfolios 
with people that work with financial planners and advisors because they're not they're not typically as scared as the international markets as your individual you do it yourself that that's a i think that's a fair statement and so the advisor will say let's dedicate what percentage and looking at uh yale for example as we talked last week we saw that their lowest holding happens to be 2.25 percent domestic equity at the yale endowment of 31.3 billion dollars and right now uh for the budget of 2021 fiscal year 2021 they've allocated about 11.75 percent to foreign equity stocks outside the U.S. Notice that their largest positions happen to be two of the same amount, 23.5% respectively, to absolute return in venture capital. Also notice they have what we count to be eight asset classes, so eight legs under their portfolio stool. We're not suggesting that anybody follow this formula. What we are suggesting, by the way, Yale says that they did not have a bad 2008. They actually made money. How many people could say that? So again, we're not suggesting that you do anything that Yale is doing in any other foundation or institution. But I I do think it makes sense that uh, success leaves clues. And to the extent that we can can learn from the best of the brightest, we may find that uh, by being more diversified, it limits declines if we wake up to a stock market being off 20, 30, or in the future, 40%. Uh, We want to see some upside somewhere, but that means we need to be wherever that is very well in advance to see that gain where we can uh, offset some of the losses with our positions like 2008, where we got hurt in real estate, we got hit in bonds, and we certainly got crushed in stocks. What could we have had looking back in 2008 in the portfolio that might have abated some of those losses where there were actually some gains to offset the severity of the total loss by seeing something in black or green, you know, positive as opposed to everything red showing negative, which as I say, is one of those things that uh, some people find very depressing, particularly when it might take longer for the recovery to occur on your time clock, on your expectations. You know, is it going to take 10 years? Uh, Like some suggest NASDAQ took after the last decline of 2000 to 2002, 10 to 15 years by some reports uh, that it took to get back to even. And for the most part, that was all up. So suppose it's more like a flat market for longer than 10 years. That's why we want to make sure we limit our losses whenever we possibly can, as opposed to uh, fully participate in those losses. So, um, what are we doing right now? Uh, Daniel, you're going to give us a a break and give us instructions as far as how people might contact us? Yes. So, you can find us on Facebook under Investors Advantage. You can find us on Twitter at Money on Course. Our website is www.ybpoor.com. You can reach us in the office at 805-495-2077, or you can always send us an email at contact at ybpoor.com. Terrific. So, folks, we'll be right back after the break. Don't go anywhere. We have Dr. Herman Williams on tap to talk about COVID-19 and how it has been and continues to be a disaster of epic proportions. But how can we contain this catastrophe? We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit ybpoor.com or call us at 805 495 2077. That's com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. 
The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. Welcome back, folks. This is Daniel Medina and myself, John Grace, on Fiscal Fitness at Voice America. And we're so pleased that you had some time to spend with us this afternoon to look at the markets and look at what's going on with COVID. And we have Dr. Herman Williams, medical doctor, holding an MBA and a master's in public health to help us understand what's going on. And, and this is where it gets interesting, because when we listen to the news, we might get kind of a perspective of what's going on in the country, but most folks aren't aware that this COVID uh, situation seems to be impacting women and minorities more dramatically, more fatally than the white majority at this particular time. So we want to really hone in on why is that happening? What can we do about that? And what's going on with, with this vaccine that everybody's so hopeful on? I call it sometimes getting high on the hopium. So just to put it in perspective, this is what I find that, you know, so many folks have the luxury of being able to work at home. Uh, I've got a good friend of mine. I, I laugh at him all the time. He has to work out of his garage. I said, because he got kicked out of the house. But many people are able to work out of uh, work from home, except for the frontline workers who absolutely put their lives in peril every single day to try to keep us safe. So what we find is non-Hispanic American Indian or Alaska Native people have had an age-adjusted COVID hospital hospitalization rate of about 5.3 times that of non-Hispanic white people. And this comes from the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Black people and Hispanic or the Latino population were both about 4.7 times the rate of non-Hispanic white people after controlling for age, gender, and mortality rates over time as to the likelihood to die. Asians were 5.3 times. Uh, as likely. So notice the, the, as I say, the people of color are getting the virus dramatically more and, and, and unfortunately also seeing more uh, higher likelihood of, of death. So Herman Williams uh, is in Nashville and he's uh, uh, the leader of the advisory practice in the BDO Nashville office. His experience includes 10 years of previous healthcare consulting and 18 years of hospital operations. As a senior physician executive, Dr. Williams' operational roles include oversight of rural, urban, small, and complex facilities, academic, community, for-profit, and non-profit healthcare organizations. Uh, Dr. Williams is the author of a new motive. Well, it's a, a book that we actually gave to our clients called Clear, Living the Life You Never Dreamed Of, a very good book about his situation. He actually opened up and shared what his experience with life has been, and it, it's been it's been interesting, that's to say it mildly, and he's been a coach with the International Coach Federation, where he successfully coached numerous physicians and hospital leaders. So we're delighted you could be with us, Dr. Williams, and let's start off with uh, giving us a sense for these uh, COVID essentials, and particularly when it comes to the impact that, as we agree, is disproportionate in some communities. Thanks, John. I, first of all, let me thank you and, and Daniel for having me on the show. It really is an honor and to have such a long history with your uh, company, with starting with my father, and, and, and again, I'm trying to pass the, tra the tradition on to my son. So thank you for that. Um, you guys have done an incredible job um, for my family and really contributed a lot to where I am today financially. But more to your question, there are multiple reasons why minorities, uh, communities of color, poor people, 
general are disproportionately impacted by this disease. I'll name a couple of them. Um, one of them, as you mentioned, you know, while you and I who are um, better off financially are able to stay at home um, and are able to, uh, you know, afford buying masks and all the various PPE that you need to protect yourself. Many of these communities of color are the essential workers that have to keep working. They're people that don't get paid uh, sick time. So if they're sick, they go to work sick. So they're in environments where a lot more people could, could potentially either be symptomatic or asymptomatic. Uh, these are folks that don't have insurance. They're either uh, working without insurance or unemployed and have no insurance. So they're not getting the proper care and the preventative types of things that would keep them from getting COVID. Um, the big comorbidities that are synonymous with COVID are, and comorbidities are the big illnesses. So morbidities, of course, are deaths, but comorbidities are those things that are chronic illnesses that can lead to death. And those big comorbidities for COVID are heart disease, uh, lung disease, uh, morbid obesity, and hypertension. And of course, we lead all of the statistics uh, for people who uh, have those ailments. So what that means is if we do get COVID, we are more likely to have more severe consequences or even die from the disease. Um, so they're just, you know, that's just some of the reasons why you see the disproportionate uh, numbers uh, when you look at the statistics that you just read off. That's really hard to imagine. We've been told that we have the best healthcare system in the world. That's what we've been yeah. told, and most of us believe that, okay? Uh, and yet, when we look at the number of cases and the number of deaths, what we are, four, four and a half percent of the worldwide population, and yet uh, we're tw 20, 25 percent of both the cases and the number of deaths yeah. in America, 2020. Why is that happening here now? I think largely because people are just not following really, John, the basic, they're just two basic things that, I mean, I'm a, I'm a believer in Dr. Fauci and he'll tell you there are two basic things that if you follow, you are less likely to get this disease. Two things, one, social distancing and two, wear a mask. Uh, unfortunately, there's been enough doubt cast on that hard science. And of course, we're Americans, you know, um, you can't tell us what to do because we have the right to do anything we want to do. So people have a distorted view of our constitution. Um, I saw a cartoon recently where um, a woman came to um, um, an amusement park and the guy said, uh, ma'am, you can't come into this amusement park without any shoes because it's dangerous. Um, you know, you might step on something and, and you harm yourself or do harm to others. And she said, oh, okay, I'm sure I'll, I'll put on some shoes, no problem. Then a woman was driving down the street, same woman, police stops her and says, ma'am, uh, you know, you have to wear a seatbelt uh, because if you wear a seatbelt, it'll protect you from injuring yourself or if you're ejected from the car you could hurt someone else and she goes oh okay i'll put my seatbelt on and then someone says ma'am you need to put on a mask and she's like what put on a mask <laughs> i'm not gonna put on a mask that's a violation of my human rights and you know on and on and on so we have a basic distortion of two of the most fundamental things that have been demonstrated in countries like taiwan uh, and some of the countries uh, in uh, Copenhagen uh, and other countries where they have been very strict about isolation, about wearing a mask, and they have significantly reduced the mortality rate from this disease, as well as the number of people who've actually got the disease. You know, your story reminds me of uh, the way I would put it is uh, free speech and, you know, freedom of, of doing whatever I 
darn well choose, right? I, I'm sure no one would be upset with me as the airplane is taking off into the sky if I were to just go open, uh, go over and open the exit door. Nobody would be uh, upset with me about that, right? You, I mean, you I, need I, a little air, right? I, I need, I yes, I needed some more air. So let me just blow up this yeah. airplane, opening the door, and that's what I think we need some common sense. We we made this so political to help yeah. people recognize, look, we're all trying to stay alive, right? And this thing wants us. It's life unlike anything we've ever seen in our lifetime. And it doesn't have a heart, we don't think. It doesn't seem to have a, a brain, but it certainly has some kind of way of seeing us and it wants us in the worst way. So I, I just wish we had more leadership, frankly, at the federal level to start with, to explain to folks, look, we all want to survive this thing. And it doesn't mean that you're un-American by wearing a mask. It means you want to be healthy. You want to live. You want to get to the next uh, Halloween and um, Thanksgiving dinner and the next Christmas. So let's just sit this one out and, and get to the next one. I, I don't want to overrun Daniel's question, but that's what I think it, it reminds me of. Let me just make one follow-up sure. to that. You know, and people are saying, well, you know, we know that it's deadlier than the common flu, but what's the big deal? It's 1% instead of 0.01%. One point that Fauci made recently is that when you get up to 285,000 deaths in one year, this has now become the second or the third leading cause of death in the year 2021, right behind heart disease and some others So and cancer. So. Now we're looking at mortality statistics, and this is, it depends on how you look at it, you know. It's only affecting a, a, um, a disproportionate elderly part of our population, but it be, has become the third leading cause of death this year. And so people are not taking this thing serious. Well, and it doesn't look like it's going to stop. I think I was looking with my son uh, over uh, Thanksgiving that with the Spanish flu of 1918, it looked like the death total worldwide was about 500,000. And I think the yeah. total number of people in the world was like 1.5 billion, if I'm not mistaken. I think those numbers are right. But it looks like the US of A alone is gonna get past uh, 500,000. If we're at 284 now, and I'm checking my, my notes that, yes, we are about 4.3% of the world's population, uh, representing about 22% of the world's reported cases and 18.4% of the world's reported deaths. And this comes from Johns Hopkins University. So right. I think that that's a good source. Yeah. Daniel, okay. what do you want to ask the Go good ahead. doctor here? Herman, can you review some of the, just the COVID essentials? It's probably a good time where we just kind of look back at what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the essentials are, one is that this virus is spread through um contact it's aerosolized through the mouth or the nose and that's why it's so important to wear a mask um, it's important to note that uh, the difference between this disease and some of the other diseases that we've had like SARS um, um, or other versions of SARS is that this disease can be transmitted by people who are both symptomatic and asymptomatic. And people forget that, you know, before, if you had a cough or something or you had a fever, we just isolate those individuals and we could really control the disease. But there are a lot, there's up to 30% of asymptomatic carriers for this disease. And that's what's really propagating it um, throughout the system. Um, the other thing to remember is that um, even if I took a test today and I was negative, that it takes about seven to 10 days incubation period. So I, I could be negative today and then go out without a mask and, and catch it today and then the symptoms would manifest. So you have to keep in mind that it takes seven to 10 days if you're exposed to someone who has COVID and they tell you, oh my God, I was in your house and I had dinner, guess what, I'm positive. You should incubate and be and keep yourself in isolation at least 10 to 14 days. I think CDC is trying to revise that down to 10 days, but previously it was 14 days. If you isolate yourself for 14 days and you have no symptoms and you go get tested and you're negative, 
then you're okay to go back. But if someone tells you, I just spent an hour with you and I'm positive, you need to assume that you were exposed uh, to the virus. Hmm. Now, on that note, on that, on that note, when should someone get tested? Is it just if they have exposure or should these, if, they have, if they're feeling some kind of symptoms? I think the time to get tested is if you are exposed to someone who's positive or if you have symptoms or if you are constantly out, you know, if you're an essential worker, you probably should get tested routinely. Uh, you should also consider getting tested if you are around elderly people, like elderly parents. Uh, I would, you know, we test weekly, which is excessive. But you, you talk know, about your family, we yes, exactly, and we do because my son is out working, his girlfriend is out working, my wife goes out and buys the food. I don't leave the house, but because of the multiple opportunities for exposure, we test weekly with an, a rapid antigen antibody test that will tell us if we have signs of the disease or if we have antibodies. And we do that on a weekly basis. But even those tests are seven days, it tests your, your exposure seven days prior. Mm. Even the day we take the test, we could have just been exposed. But those are the reasons. Now, if you're not exposed to elderly people and you're isolating and you're working from home and you've got no symptoms, then I don't think there's a reason to test. Um, so you just consider your exposure to other people uh, and the job uh, that you have and how much you're exposed to the general population. We're going to go to break. I think we're all familiar with the word exposure. We have a new word, efficacy. So when we come back, let's have you excuse me, describe what that means because it's for most of us, it's a word we're now hearing every day, but we don't really quite know what it means. And I want to make sure that our listeners know that uh, Dr. Williams has a book. And guess what? So do I. And if you post a question to us, either on while we're on the call or you send one afterwards, an email, whatnot, I'm happy to send you a copy in the Kindle version. It's available on Amazon, Making Finance Make Sense. And so we want everybody to put their financial plan in order. And maybe one of the benefits of COVID is people will take the time to look at their financial future. Uh, and then secondly, we also want you to know as a way of uh, – saying thanks in a very sincere way to all these frontline workers, we're now providing free financial planning for all frontline workers across the country. So Daniel and I will sit in a Zoom call or in office if we have the people are local, we can be six feet apart uh, to look at how much money you're going to need to make work optional, what happens in the event a uh, breadwinner passes away financially, we want the survivors to not mistake the money that they used to bring in. And then, of course, in the event that these are younger children trying to prepare for college, the question becomes, how are we going to make sure that everybody can cry at the graduation because they not only finish getting their their degree, but no one's in debt for $80,000 for the rest of their lives or $300,000 if you, apparently there's a, a lot of interest, by the way, in kids wanting to be Dr. Fauci now. So that's, that's good news. You've got some good people coming into the equation, Dr. Williams. So we'll, we'll go to break and we'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. At Investors Advantage Corporation, our trademark statement, the proof is in the planning, represents the value we see in hard work and perseverance, coupled with a sound plan for the future. With the challenges facing our country's frontline workers, we see a lot being asked and not a lot given in return. To reward our nation's frontline employees and clients, we're offering our financial planning services free for anyone serving in those roles. So whether you're a nurse, a member of the police force, or a retail employee, we'd love to sit down with you and help you plan for the other side of this pandemic. Please feel free to share this offer with the critical infrastructure workers you know who are providing services where they are most needed. Visit ybpoor.com or call us at 805 495 2077. That's ybpoor.com or 805-495-2077. We are located in Thousand Oaks, California. Thank you for your service and we look forward to lending a hand through your financial journey. 
Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency Podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Fiscal Fitness. To reach the show today, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at ybpoor.com. Now, back to Fiscal Fitness. So glad you can join us, ladies and gentlemen. John Grace and Daniel Medita here, Fiscal Fitness on Voice America, where we have uh, Dr. Herman Williams with us talking about this epic of massive proportions, of course, that's COVID-19, how it's particularly uh, impacting people of color who happen to be frontline workers, no matter their status. Uh, As I say, so many of us have the luxury of being able to work from home, even our garages when our wives are mad at us, but we're still at home. And other people don't have that luxury. They have to show up and do what it takes every day. And every day they put their lives in peril. So, We certainly want to dial that back and survive and thrive no matter what happens to us. And so let's pick up with uh, Dr. Williams to explain one of these words we're hearing so often in the news, but no one's explaining what the definition is. And that, of course, is efficacy. So efficacy, of course, uh, literally means how effective. uh, And it's used in context with, say, the vaccine. How effective is the vaccine and what are we willing to accept uh, as a percent uh, of effectiveness? And many people have said that they are actually surprised that the efficacy of the vaccines that are being proposed now, I believe the uh, Pfizer is 95, Moderna's 94%. So that's a gold standard. When you think about it, that we, many of us, myself included, get the uh, flu vaccine, which is 50 to 60% effective in uh, preventing you from getting the flu. So, I mean, that's like a flip of the coin, but um, for those like myself who have some comorbid disease, um, the risk of getting it sort of outweighs you know, it, I mean, the, the, the risk of not getting it by taking the vaccine outweighs taking that chance that you would get it and would be severe. And even though it's only 50% effective or efficacious, people still feel like you might lessen the symptoms if you actually got the flu, even if it didn't prevent it. So efficacy is really important um, as, as a selling point for who's going to take the vaccine once it's available. And maybe John will have some time to talk about a lot of what that means to communities of color when it comes to trusting the medical establishment. Yeah, I know Daniel has a question. I think uh, CDC guideline was the uh, goal was uh, that anything that was 70% effective was good. Uh, But uh, that should give some cold, hard confidence to so many of us who've seen situations where it didn't turn out well, particularly for African-Americans in history. Uh, When you're at 95%, I mean, God knows I would take 95 on any test I ever had to take or ever will take. It's, It's always an A. And A, I will accept. Thank you very much. Okay. So, Daniel, I know you had a question regarding the vaccine. Yeah, Dr. Dr. Williams, what do we need to know about the vaccine? When and how many times, how does it really get administered? Great question, um, because there's a, a ton of information out there, but I think if I could sort through some of the basics. Number one, the, the vaccine that we will probably see first is the Pfizer vaccine, which is waiting for what they call an EUA, or an emergency use authorization, which is essentially a fast track way that the FDA approves drugs in a critical emergency. 
However, um, the trials and the human trials that have gone on with Pfizer has proven that it's 95% effective in preventing uh, folks getting um, COVID-19. However, there are a couple of caveats. You have to have two shots. The first shot gives you a little bit, 20% immunity from getting COVID. And so, you know, if you got it after the first shot, you could still get maybe an attenuated uh, course of the COVID-19, meaning not as severe. The two shots have to be separated by 28 days. And then you need another seven to 10 days after the second dose before you get the type of immunity that would protect you. So think about the timetable, <laughs> right? So, you know, most people have got this broken out into four groups, the frontline ER workers, next is the emergency essential workers, next is those who are, you know, most likely if they get it are gonna get very sick, and then lastly is the rest of us. Spread apart by two doses, spread apart by 28 days, spread apart by, you know, another 10 days on the tail of the second dose. So we're talking about June, <laughs> you know, before the population has it. You know, let's just say four groups that get it two months apart, that last group, I mean, depending on how they, you know, how they space it, that last group may not be getting it until, you know, March, uh, April, May. So keep in mind the timeline. The other oh. big question. Yeah, I, I see that uh, just yesterday, uh, uh, Tuesday, uh, Joe Biden, uh, vice uh, president, well, vice president-elect, right? Or president-elect Joe Biden, okay, uh, <laughs> outlined his three goals. That Once he's sworn into office, he wants to deliver 100 million vaccinations during the first 100 days. And uh, yes, the vaccinations are expected to require two inoculations for each person. So his goal would be to vaccinate 50 million people. But yes, it would appear to be as well that we're talking about June and, and we, we have to get from here to there. And then right. I see so many cases where people get a serious strain of the virus, if you will, and that thing just doesn't quit. I mean, it attacks your, 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 your cells and your organs. And I, I think it was on 60 Minutes a week ago or so where they had some uh, people where they had passed away and they did an autopsy and found that there were blood clots in the brain. So to me, this is not something to just laugh off or go, oh, it's never going to happen to me. I, I don't want it to happen to anyone. Yeah, it's, it's, it's tragic. And the, the other thing about it is these are unnecessary deaths, or I shouldn't say unnecessary, I should say these are avoidable. Yes. That's the, that's the point. That's the There's 285,000 deaths that could have potentially, maybe not all of them, some of them could have been avoided by people wearing a mask. Yeah, and as of last week, there were more than 21,000 patients in ICU, intensive care units across the nation. Yeah according to USA Today, which hospitals file daily or weekly with guidance from, from the White House. I mean, that's a whole lot of folks, and that means we're, we're literally running out of beds, no? Yes, so there are some, uh, especially in California, that they have 36% capacity, which, you know, that means they've got like three or four beds if somebody needs them. So it's, it's and that actually, what people don't understand, um, and, you know, look, I, I, I can relate um, as someone who could potentially get it, but, you know, these pe people who are saying, you know, you're closing down my store and this and that, these close mechanisms are triggered by the availability of ICU beds. It's not just random. And right. so people, it's just amazing to me, would you rather die? Or would you rather open up a store, have people come in and get sick because they're in your store? I, I just don't, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that'd be hard to live with, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I, I try and put myself in other people's uh, position. Let me make one other point, John, is that people always ask, well, are we going to have to still wear masks? Yes. Please. <laughs> Until we get to that point where we have, 
vaccinated where they say we've got herd immunity, 75 to 80% of the population has been vaccinated. Then we can talk about taking the masks off. You will so notice for those of you who travel in, in Asia, know that they wear masks all the time. And so they've been doing it for a while. People who are not going to even stop, even though they say the COVID's gone, they're going to still wear masks. So um, the masks aren't going to go away right away. Well, and I'll continue to say on the show, folks, it's the three W's. Wash your hands, uh, watch yeah. your distance, and wear a mask, okay? Yeah. Just be in the habit of doing that because we, as far as I'm concerned, like people say, how are you doing? I say, well, if you want to know the truth, I'm walking the chalk line equidistant between the COVID on the left and the police on the right. I am the <laughs> invisible man. So as far as I'm concerned, we all want to be invisible yeah. people in uh, around the world, really, and let this thing eventually blow away or we all get vaccinated in time so that it, it won't see us like it sees us uh, so prone and vulnerable at, at this particular juncture. Yeah. So, Dr. Williams, can you speak to the, the, the vaccine and what the what you mentioned before is how is it going to impact the minority communities, given that it's not yeah. going to be available? Well, and yeah, how, are, how minorities in particular, many don't have cars. They don't have transportation. So how is it going to be dispensed? Well, there's some research that came out of um, um, uh, some of the, like Mayo and others were, part of their triage mechanism included communities uh, who are disparate with regard to getting health care, but the vaccine literally is going to be delivered to the states, I guess the Department of Health, and then it's up to them to come up with a way to address that. So, you know, I, look, this is where innovation kind of takes off and we could have some really unique, innovative ways to get the vaccine to communities of color that, you know, bring it to them, bring it to churches, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, let's, let's back up a minute. Um, of course, the famous um, Tuskegee experiment where they gave uh, black males syphilis and they didn't give them medication so that they could see what the, effects of tertiary syphilis would do, um, you know, there lot, there's been lots of experiments on the community. So not only do we have the challenges of getting the vaccine to the community, we have the challenges of getting the community to trust that, you know, the vaccine is going to be effective and that they're not getting hoodwinked again. So, um, you know, th those are just a lot, a lot of people, like a lot of the um, ministers are saying, I'm going to take it in front of everybody and, and be the first one. You know, Biden says he's going to take it. You know, there are lots of senators who are saying they're going to take it. So I, I think, we're, you know, there are two obstacles. One is trust, and then the other is how do we get it? And to me, that's up to how innovative the plan is. And it sounds like you're looking forward to taking it yourself. Yeah, I mean, I've already taken the flu vaccine. I'm like, well, if I'm taking a vaccine, that's only 50%. Right. That's <laughs> over 95. Right, right. And, and it's worth mentioning that there are two others. There's the measles vaccine and the Shigella vaccine are already like 98% effective. So if you haven't taken those, you, you might as well take those vaccines. I mean, While you're at it, another shot in the arm. <laughs> yeah. So I, I hate for somebody to get, you know, those diseases and um, we have actually have a vaccine to prevent it. So. Yeah, they saw, I think it was on Reuters or in the BBC yesterday that four lions at a Barcelona zoo in Spain tested positive, three female and one male uh, after displaying yeah. mild systems. So this thing is, is, is being exchanged between all kinds of animals, okay? And, yeah. and from what I can gather, in our time frame, this might be the first one, but it's not going to be the last one. One of the things I do find as good news is apparently with the Spanish flu in these United States, that's where radiators became uh, manufactured and available for keeping people warm. That, that, that was a, a new thing back in right. the uh, uh, 
1918s or so. So there'll be a lot of new things and new ideas that come out of this because we just have to come up with a better way of, of recognizing and dealing. And, and I think we should be learning from other countries because when I look at Thailand, this is a year ago, this is like 1230 last year when they saw what was happening in yeah. Wuhan and they reached out to China and apparently they're only 80 miles apart, I think, uh, but they're not very communicative in terms of the governments. They're not friendly, but the people of both countries get interspersed all the time. So they reached out to China, didn't like the answer, government of Thailand. They reached out to the World Health Organization, didn't like the report they got back there. But what did they do? Out of the blue, they said, okay, look at all the planes coming in from Wuhan. We're going to test everyone on every plane before they touch the ground. Okay, we will sequester them. And then they shut down the city of Wuhan. Seems like that's been pretty effective. Notice China's economy is a a lot more robust than the U.S. economy at this particular time. So when the government gets real serious and, and really helps us recognize what we need to do one way or the other in terms of what's the right thing, then I think people fall in line. And we make it a political statement. It makes it so easy just to throw each other under the bus. Oh, you're conservative. Oh, you're, you're aggressive. Oh, you're progressive. Oh, you're a Democrat. Oh, you're I, Look, I want to live. Okay? I could be all of those. I have been all of them, Republican, Independent, Democrat. I want all of us to live no matter what your affiliation or party might be. So any parting thoughts, Dr. Williams? Wear a mask. (laughs) Wear a mask. Take the vaccine when it's available. Yes, sir. Terrific. Okay. So I think that'll do it. We're so delighted you could join us today, Dr. Herman Williams in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, We really appreciate you for breaking down some of the terminology, some of the thinking, and particularly how this, uh, as I say, epic proportion disaster uh, is affecting uh, women and minorities that are on the front line more often than not. And we all want to survive and thrive. So thanks so much for joining us, folks. Well, Daniel Medina and I will see you right back here next week. Thank you for tuning to Fiscal Fitness. Please join John Grace and co-host Daniel Medina again next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have an excellent week.